0: back then to the Gospel of John. Such a fantastic Gospel. I've read it several times and I may have said it before and I'll continue saying it every time I read it. It's always something new, something that I stop and think that's just so amazing. And I've read it before and I see something new again and something with greater light and something that I may have read loads of times and yet not seen. And I'm sure you're the same when you read the Scriptures that these things happen. You read and you're just astounded by what's there. But in these first five verses, it's hard to get away from them. And I'm going to delve into verses four and five of John chapter one, continuing from where we left off before. These verses say this, verse four, in him was life, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1. And in learning from the Apostle John, in both his gospel and his epistles, that he whom they heard, he who they had seen with their eyes, he who they looked upon and handled with their hands, namely Jesus Christ, that he is indeed the word of life. And was in the beginning with God, and is God, the life and the light of men. In learning this, in those first few verses, we go on to see what he says about the life, that the life was the light of men. When we look into uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, For to this end, We both labour and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Saviour of all men, especially of those who believe. So, taking into consideration the whole context of Scripture, which we ought always to do, friends, when we're looking at particular verses of Scripture or even small sets of verses, we need to look at it in the context of the chapter, the letter itself, who it was written to. And also the whole context of Scripture. Because when we don't do that, we can read a text and we can completely take it out of context and make it say whatever we want to say. So this verse here says that God is the saviour of all men, especially those who believe. The verses in John says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, plurally. So we've got... They don't read the same, but there's similarities in those two verses. So we have to take into consideration the whole context of Scripture. We know, don't we, that all men, that all mankind aren't saved. We know that. We know that not everybody is saved. We know that the wicked, that the chaff, that the goats, that the are in Scriptures, these are all scriptural terms. Those who hate God those who are actually living in mockery of God, the scorners, the carnal, the unrighteous and the disobedient, those with a hard heart and an unrepentant will, they will find their portion in the lake of fire. We know that's true, don't we? Why do we know it's true? Because the Word of God tells us so in Revelation 21.8. It tells us that all those whose names that aren't found in the book of life will find their portion in the lake of fire. So what are we to understand then by such statements as God who is the saviour of all men, especially them that believe, and the life was the light of men, plural. We need to look at what this light is. The light spoken of here in this sense is best to be understood as knowledge, reason understanding everything belongs to god and all things come from him even the knowledge that we have everything that we know everything that we learn everything that we we go through in our lives no matter what direction that takes us the scientists the medical profession everything that we learn in the jobs that we do all all of it all comes from god it all comes from the word the Logos. Albert Barnes notes with regards to light on these scriptures that light is that by which we see objects distinctly, we see them. The light of the sun enables us to discern the form, the distance, the magnitude and the relation of objects and prevents the perplexities and dangers which result from such a state of darkness. We all know that when you get up in the middle of the night and you walk into the door or you stomp your toe on something because you can't see it. You know, it's, it's obvious. You know, that's what light brings. Light is, in all languages, therefore, put for knowledge. For whatever enables us to discern our duty and that saves us from the evils of ignorance and error. The meaning, then, is that Logos... Or the Word of God, in this sense, is the instructor and the teacher of all mankind. That's where it comes from. John Gill says, when Christ, the Word, breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul, he filled them with rational light and knowledge. And so Christ is the light to all men. And in the similar sense, he is the saviour of all men. And because this this statement that says, especially those who believe. Because it follows, it shows that Christ being the saviour of all men must mean something different to what the latter affirms. If Paul were referring to salvation when he says that, that Christ is the saviour of all men, if you were to stop there, you would have the doctrine of universal salvation. Yeah. That at the end, all men are saved. But we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that's not true, no matter what um, persuasion people say they are. No one can deny that all men aren't saved. And so when he says that they are, he is the saviour of all men... He goes on to add that statement, especially of those that believe. So therefore to say, all men, that all are saved, it makes no sense to say that last statement, especially of all men. So he wouldn't be saying that last statement, it would make it senseless, wouldn't it? That last statement, especially of all men, or sorry, especially of all those that believe, would be a senseless statement. Wouldn't make any sense. And neither can it mean that he saves some people Without them believing upon Christ. You can't mean that. Because we know that the only way to salvation is through Christ himself. And it would be in opposition of the scriptures that say such as. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If it was a case that God just put some people aside and said I'll save them without them believing. Then it goes against his very word. That we, we ought to always confess, in fact actually the work needs to be coming from the heart first. The work of Christ is done in the heart. You're saved and you know and then you confess with your mouth what work has been done. This is why the sinner's prayer falls short of truth. Because many people can be led to say a prayer and it not be a work in the heart. And yet led to be believed that they're saved because they've said a prayer it's a dangerous doctrine repeat after me people can be led into an emotional state in a, in, a, in a in a sermon and they can be led to say a prayer because of that emotional state and then they believe they're saved and they go home and there's no change salvation is not it's not a it's not a, it's not a, a switch that you flick I know, I know people who, who can say that there was a particular day that God revolutionised their life, that he caused them to be born again in his grace. Yeah. I also know people who can't pinpoint a day, who say, this has been a work, a work in progress. that I have been working out my salvation as it were. Scripture also says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 9, and 11. That whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes. Jesus Christ is in a very special way the saviour of his people. He redeems them from their sin by shedding his blood. Saving them from spiritual death. Making them a new creature. And filling them with the Holy Spirit. As a surety of their future inheritance in full That's what you've been given the Holy Spirit for to enable you to live the life of a Christian, to empower you to live it, and also to let you know that this is what's coming. It's a down payment, if you like. It's an, it's an earnest given you to show you what's going to come. But these verses, these all men verses here, is talking about other things. John Gill again says regarding who is the Saviour of all men. He says this in a providential way giving them being and breath, upholding them in their beings, preserving their lives and indulging them with the blessings and mercies of life. For that he is the saviour of all men, with a spiritual and everlasting salvation is not true in fact. So he is the saviour in the sense that he gives men life. That he gives men knowledge, that he gives mankind understanding, that he causes the rain uh, to to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun to shine on all men. The fact that all crops grow, that all men share in these things, that he gives them blessings in that sense. And that actually many ungodly people have, in some senses, a very good life, and yet they reject the Saviour. So in that sense he is, but in, like Gil says, it's not true in fact that spiritually speaking he is a saviour of all men. But he is a loving God. And he is a just God. And he treats all of his people as, as they don't deserve. You now we ourselves, as those who would believe and confess our hope, every one of us, that we are born again. That we're not treated how we deserve and in fact maybe many people who reject God and scorn him and mock him and spit in his face in this life aren't treated how they deserve right now mm-hmm. albeit as we said at the beginning there is that place where they will be cast into for their utter re- uh, regenerate rejection unregenerate rejection sorry, of God but then we go on in these verses and we see in John 1 verse 5 that it tells us this that the light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness. One thing is very clear, people. One thing's very clear, and even obvious when we read these scriptures, that there is darkness. It's obvious. I don't need to tell you that. You can read it. But so often we can just read things because they're there and we know it. But it says that the light shines in the darkness. There is indeed darkness. And what is this darkness? What is the darkness that is spoken of here? It's not a physical lack of light. It's not like that darkness of night where you wake up and, as we've said, you, you miss the step or you, 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 know, you, bang, you bang your foot on the door or something because you can't see because there's no lights on. It's not talking about that kind of darkness. Not talking about the lack of the sun, but it's speaking of moral or spiritual darkness, blindness, if you if you want. The moment that our first parents broke that covenant of disobeying God's command, darkness and death entered the world. It speaks, doesn't it, about how the thistles began to grow and the thorns, how wickedness and pain began. And those things that we don't like started to come in. Death and darkness entered the world. Death to the guilty. To all mankind, both physically and spiritually. Adam and Eve were not created in that respect to die either way. Death, friends, even though we might say is the natural course of our lives, actually it's not. Death isn't natural that's why people fear it. Because it's not a natural of it's not what the intention was. Trusting in Christ, trusting in God and obeying that covenant was all about, do this and live. But they didn't do this and live. They disobeyed and died. And they died both spiritually and physically. And then death came also to the blameless. What do I mean? Well, what did God do? For Adam and Eve. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Tried to work out their own salvation. Work out to get past their own sin. Still familiar today, isn't it? How many of us still have this idea that if we just do something good enough to cover what we've done, we'll be alright? Fig leaves don't cover it, friends. Don't cover your nakedness. When they fell from grace, it said that they were naked. When Adam and Eve came together, it said they were naked and unashamed. When they fell and they sinned, it said they were naked and they were ashamed. That's not all to do with the fact that they had no clothes on. It's Because they lost their covering. And who was that? It was God. God was their covering. They had lost it. And they suddenly realised they were on their own. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, tried to work it out themselves, hid away from God and said, well, we'll deal with this problem, let's get these leaves and cover ourselves, no shame. But no, that didn't cut it, what did God do? He gave them, he says he made them skins, tunics of skins. What does that point to? The blameless. Blameless had to die. Made them tunics of skins to cover their nakedness, which is a prophetic sign of the innocent sacrificed. The innocent dying instead of the guilty. And as it says in 1 Peter 3.18, the just for the unjust. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In Revelation 13.8 it says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. The innocent died so that those two people could be covered from their shame. Whatever animal it was, it doesn't say, but it said that God made tunics of skins. Blameless, innocent, killed to cover their guilt. Oh, it speaks of Christ in volumes, doesn't it? Of what he came to do. See, so the world and the hearts of men began to grow rapidly darker. The grounds cursed... Thorns and thistles grow, Cain murders Abel. And by the time Noah lived, we are told that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent and thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. Darkness and wickedness and evil flooded the world. Adam lived to be 930 years old. Noah was born, according to some, according to how they worked it out, 126 years or so after Adam died. And Noah was 500 years old and God commanded him to build the ark. So we're talking about a lot of time. The wickedness of man Had gotten so bad during these years that god brought judgment upon the wicked world killing all but eight people eight people all the family all one family eight people if you look into the population at the time there's quite a lot of debate and questions about how many people lived on the earth at that time but it ranges because of the prolonged lifespan of people such as Adam, 930 years gives you a lot of time to have kids. So, if they lived that kind of age and they were reproducing as God had commanded them to do, basically the, the numbers span in the estimates range from a few million to billions. And God killed all but eight people. And we're not afraid, friends, to say God did that, He did. The world was full of wickedness and darkness and evil, and God killed all but eight people. The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It wasn't long until the wickedness of the heart reared its ugly head again. After he killed all those people in judgment. In just righteous judgment let's say. Because that's true. God is the judge that does right. Always. And so he did that. Eight people left. And he told them to go and multiply. It wasn't long until the wickedness of the heart reared its ugly head again. And according to the website Answers in Genesis which you may have heard of. The Tower of Babel was built roughly a hundred years after the flood. If you know about the Tower of Babel, they built it to try and reach the heavens and to make a name for themselves. Man who was uh, not needing God, basically. We don't need God. We can make a name for ourselves. But as noted at the time, shortly before the flood, every intent and thought and purpose of the heart was evil continually. And it's been the same From then to now. Nothing's changed. Nothing at all has changed. He continues. Even though that God judged the wicked and he left eight people who he termed righteous. He termed Noah righteous. Just goes to prove those scriptures, doesn't it, in Romans where it says he has mercy on those who may mercy. And compassion on those who he has compassion in Galatians five nineteen 19-21, we read about the works of the flesh. So the works of the wickedness, the work of the evil that's in the thoughts and the, the, the purposes and the heart of man continually are these things. The works of the flesh are evident, we're told, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, Paul says, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of wickedness. This is quite a, a list, but that's not a list that is complete. But that just goes to show the darkness and the wickedness that is in mankind. These things lead to unbelief. These these things lead to us being in the dark. These things lead to blindness. John 12 tells us, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. When people turn away from God continually, like in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that he gives them over. That's what you want? I'll give you over. You want to worship the creature rather than the creator? I'll give you over. Give you over to what? To a reprobate mind. And they continue on, blindness, with darkness, can't see, spitting with the poison of asps, it says in Romans 3 hard and hard reject God this is friends the reality of darkness as we said earlier light brings our sight darkness brings blindness and as it says in Ephesians we were all in that place at one time all in blindness all in taking apart part of these things that we've just read and these things should not be seen amongst us who are Christians but we were once of such a light. In that dark place. Without the light of Christ. But here's the thing friends. This is a wonderful scriptures that we're dealing with in John. Because we see then that there is darkness. And we, we openly see it. We were in it. It's there. You see it in the world.
1: Yeah,
0: but let me say this. Christ is the light. <clears throat> that is the most wonderful thing. We don't ignore that there's darkness. We know it from personal experience. But Jesus Christ is the light. John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It is him who is the light. That's who it's talking about in these verses. The word of God that was with God before time. The word of God that was in the beginning. The word that is God. The word that is life. The word that is the life and the light of men. That is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, you're no longer blind. You're no longer walking in the paths of darkness. You're no longer under the dominion of sin. Yes, you'll sin. But it has no power over you anymore. You're not in chains to it. You're not a slave to it anymore. And as is the letter, the epistle of John says, we have an advocate. And we go to him when we sin. We have an advocate. He says, I write these things, brothers, sisters, that you might not sin, but if you do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because you're no longer under the dominion and the power and slavery of sin. You're no longer in darkness. In these first five verses of John's Gospel, the wonders of who Jesus Christ is are beautifully displayed. He is the Word. He is the Word of God. All life is in him. He is the life and the light of men. He is the light that shines in the darkness. Revelation twenty-two sixteen calls him the morning star. And then we have this lovely verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people who sat in darkness... Who's that, friend? That's us. That's where we were. Yeah. Sat in darkness. Okay. And what does it mean to sit? Well, part of that means comfortably. Look at Psalm 1. Those who sit down with the scorners and the mockers. We sat in darkness, in comfort, not even knowing, blind to the fact. It says those people who sat in darkness Have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of shadow and death, light has dawned. We know, don't we, that light has a source. Our sun is the source of light for the earth or the planets. Also, the source of light for the moon. The moon doesn't hold its own light. The moon is a reflection of the sun's light at night. Darkness is an absence of light. Genesis 1-3 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said... What did he say? Let there be light. light. And it says that there was light. Because God said it. He spoke and it was. Light gives sight. Light opens the path that lays before us. It opens the way ahead. Light is pure. It's clean, it's safe. Light drives away fear. Some of us in this room, even being adults, may still have a fear of the dark. I don't know. But when we were kids, we probably most certainly all had it to some degree. You can't see where you're going. You're on your own in the bedroom. The lights are off. There seems to be this creeping fear that comes upon you. You don't know what's around you. You see a shadow. You can't see. You don't know what's there. You don't know what's under the bed. But how easy that fear slips away with one push of the light switch. The light comes on because light drives away fear. The scripture behind me says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word. Friends, if we want to be in the light, we need to be in this. The word of God. The word of Christ, the logos, the inerrant, true, pure scripture. The more that this is in me, as it says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. The more that it's in me, the greater light I have. So you have to look at the negative. I say, if I'm not in the word and the word's not in me, how dark is your light? How dark is the darkness? Genesis 1 says that God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. But it's interesting to note that when you look at those scriptures, verses 1 through 5, it talks about the separation of light and, light and dark and night and day. That God only called the light good, He didn't say anything about the darkness. But he called the light good. Friends, there will be no night in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ will be our light. Don't we'll need some. Two Corinthians four verse six says, For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. Of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, God's commanded it. He has put light into our hearts. He's shone into each and every one of us this morning who knows Him. He has done it. He has shined into you. Think about the Wesley song about the rays and just the rays of light that came into the dungeon. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. Yeah. And we see it. He gives us the knowledge. Of the glory of God. And we see it where in the face. Of Jesus Christ. He is the light. Ephesians 5. Speaks of the fact that. We've already mentioned. But he says you were once in darkness. But now. You are light. In the Lord. And he goes on to say. Therefore walk. As children of light. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Light is not only an absence of darkness. Darkness is an absence of light. But light is not only an absence of darkness. You see, light drives darkness out. No matter how small the light, no amount of darkness can hide it. Strike a match, turn on a torch in a dark room, can the darkness overpower it? Can night drive away the sun? Only when the earth turns. So when it's our night, it's because the earth is rotating, isn't it? Crowd, and the sun is over there. We call it the sunset, really, because it looks like the sun's going down and it's not. But it's only then, only when the earth turns, that the darkness appears. Yes. The sun is the power. The darkness cannot rule the day. And so, the sun of righteousness. <clears throat> darkness cannot overpower him friends we know that man's heart is dark blackened by sin and yet in truth again can the darkness overpower the sun oh no christ is the light of the world The morning star that rises in the hearts of his people. He shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot comprehend. And that word means to overpower. The darkness cannot overpower. Him. And thus. If Christ has given you light. You brethren. We're told. In Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5. You brethren. Are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Goes on to say, those who get drunk get drunk at night. Awesome, also many things happen at night, don't they? In the wickedness of the darkness, where people are undercover. Light exposes. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Do you believe in him? Yes. Of a truth, do you believe? Because if you do, friends, you are not in the darkness. And no darkness. Will overpower the Son of Righteousness who lives in you by his spirit. Don't know about you, but I like to see a really clear, dark night sky. Yeah. When you can see all the stars. You see Orion and yeah. you can see the plough and other things, I don't know the names of all the constellations, but nevertheless you can see them so clearly. It's, nice. it's a lovely sight to see. Yeah. closest star is called Proxima Centauri that's the closest star and this closest star is 4.24 light years away a light year one light year is 9.44 trillion kilometers or 5.88 trillion miles which is an incredibly large distance It takes 4.2 years then for the light from this star to reach earth. So when we see it glittering in the sky what we see is taking 4.2 years to reach us. And yet the darker the night the clearer we see. We may live in a dark world, friends. May live in a dark world where sin abounds. But the scripture says where sin abounded grace abounded much more. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5:14 through16, "You are the light of the world." Not only is he the light of the world, but he said, "You are lights of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house." Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, we live in a dark world. We don't, dis- we don't disagree with that. But God is saying to us here that we're lights of this world and we carry and live and move and have our being in the light of the world, Christ himself. And so we don't need to let that darkness overcome us either. No don't need to get despondent in a life and a day that seems dreary and dark and full of wickedness, and in some senses, seems like there's no re- real light in the world. That we're in a day of dearth. Because Christ has called us to be lights, He's called us to be that city set on a hill. Askin and Campsall and Sutton and Carcroft, they need us to be lights of the world. That's what it means. So we don't want to let this overcome us. Mm-hmm. But what we need to do, the word he says there, mm-hmm. let your light so shine before men. Mm-hmm. That they may see your good works. What are your good works? This is not about becoming some super glow-in-the-dark Christian. It's about living the life that God's given you and living it as unto the Lord. Whatever job you have, do it all unto the Lord. Being a mother or a father, do it as unto the Lord. Being a brother, a son, a sister, a daughter, a wife, a husband, whatever it is, those are good works that God's given you to do. Do it all unto the glory of God and may it be seen that you are a Christian in this world. And that means to stand against righteousness. That means to expose darkness rather than to walk in it because you're afraid of those people around you. We need to be different friends. As Moses said in Exodus 32, how is it How is it to be known that we are your people? Is it not because you are with us that we are different from all the other nations on the face of the earth? The trouble is that the church in this day and age has become far too much like the world, it's hard to distinguish. My call to you this morning is let your light shine before men if you're a believer. If you're not, friends, the sad truth is you're still in darkness. And that darkness right at this moment is comprehending you, overpowering. the gospel is preached here Christ is the light, run to him Mm -hmm. and he says awake you who sleep arise for Christ shall give you light and he will if you turn from your sin and you cast it all upon him he will not in any means cast you out Mm -hmm. let's pray Father we thank you for your word we love your word and i ask you lord that you will cause us to love it more for your word is truth and lord your word says whoever the son sets free you shall be free indeed thank you lord god that you've set us free thank you that you are the light of the world and that you have chosen in your kindness and your mercy and your love and your long-suffering and your just your wonder To shine the light in our hearts which we see in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving us, Lord. And Lord, we don't live just to be saved, to sit in a chair and await heaven to come our way. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be Christians in this world, true Christian men, true Christian women, and to live in those good works that you've given us to do, all as unto the Lord, that people may see that we love you. And Lord, that yes, it may bring a jealousy to them, that they desire. Burn with envy for wanting what we have. And may it be, Lord, (coughs) that this ministry, individuals in this church who share their faith and share the gospel in whatever situation they're in, that we may may bear fruit. And Lord, may it be, for all for your name's sake, may it be glorified in every area of our lives. Father, thank you once again for sending (coughs) Jesus Christ to save us. From this darkness for which we've spoken about today. And that now we don't live in that darkness. But we are in the light which is Christ. Father thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.